0: Hey there, welcome. This is Daniel M. from Beulah Alliance Church. As we open up the scriptures together, I hope this helps you know Jesus deeply and be known by him fully. Enjoy the message. Let me tell you about the last day of his life. I was there when Judas arrived. Jesus had been praying and then he was talking with us and then suddenly this mob shows up with swords and clubs coming out of the dark, coming through the trees, ready for a fight. And there was our friend Judas. We hadn't seen him for a couple hours and then right away I knew something was off because he just walked right up to Jesus and kissed him. And then with a strange tone in his voice, he called him Rabbi. And then I knew why. It was like it was a signal for the guards because immediately they grabbed Jesus and they arrested him and there was a struggle and we told them they were making a huge mistake and one of our guys, he just, he pulled out a sword and he cut off a guy's ear. It was crazy. It was crazy. And then Jesus, he just, he just asked them a question. Have you come out here with swords and clubs to arrest me as if I were a criminal? And then I, I just, I just freaked out. I mean, I was so afraid, I just took off running into the night. I only know the rest of the story because of what others told me later. After I left, they led Jesus away to the high priests and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes assembled. And you know what? These leaders just totally blew blew through our Jewish law because we know what the Mishnah says. Like if someone's going to be sentenced to die, a guilty verdict has to have a second sitting the next day and they didn't do that. And both sittings have to take place in the daytime and never before a Sabbath, never before a festival. And they didn't do that. It's like they didn't care. My aunt told me she'd never heard of anything like this before. Nearly every piece of Jesus' trial broke those rules. Well, Peter followed at a distance in the made his way into the high priest's courtyard. He sat down by a fire with his servants. Man, Jesus must have felt so alone. We'd spent three years together. We'd done everything together. And here he was alone, surrounded by dozens of leaders, all of them against him. And he's only got one friend anywhere nearby. I'm ashamed to think of it now. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin, they were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they couldn't find any. I'm telling you, this was a trial looking for a charge. They didn't have a charge yet, but they did have a verdict. Many were given false testimony against him, and these testimonies didn't agree. Some stood up and they gave this false testimony. They said, we heard him say he will tear down the temple made with human hands, and then in three days he'll build another one not made with hands. And the other testimony he didn't agree on this because they made that part up. He never said that. And then the high priest stood up before them all and he stood before Jesus and he asked him, don't you have an answer for what these men are testifying against him? But he kept silent and he didn't answer. To me, this was impressive. I mean, after all these so-called witnesses had said what they'd said, I would have said something, but not Jesus. It reminds me of that prophecy of Messiah. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Again, the high priest questioned him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Did you hear that? He wasn't just saying yes. He was claiming to be God. He used that name that God had used with Moses at the burning bush. And then he quoted the prophet Daniel. These were claims to be God. Seriously, you've got to respect him. Unless you don't believe him. Then you'll think he's crazy. Well, the high priest didn't believe. And so then he tore his robes and he said, why do we still need more witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy. What's your decision? And they all agreed that he should be sentenced to death. Jesus was claiming to be God and he was claiming to be king and in Rome's eyes well that was treason so they agreed he should be killed and then they did what our religious leaders never do some began to spit on him they blindfolded him they beat him and they said prophesy the temple servants also took him and they slapped him these guys were angry but you know what? without even realizing it, they were fulfilling a prophecy about Messiah without even trying to. And the way they treated him was exactly as Jesus had predicted. Well, Jesus' trial went on all night. By dawn, the whole Jewish authority had gathered, and the chief priests tied up Jesus, they led him away, and they handed him over to Pilate. So, when he got to Pilate, Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, You say so. And the chief priest accused him of many things, and Pilate questioned him again. He said, Aren't you going to answer? Look how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still didn't answer. And so Pilate was amazed. At the festival, Pilate used to release to the people a prisoner and there was this guy named Barabbas who was an actual criminal and the crowd asked Pilate to do for them what he'd done every year. But Pilate answered them, do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? He knew it was because of envy that they had handed him over but the chief priests stirred up the crowd so they would release Barabbas to them instead and Pilate asked them again, then what do you want me to do with the one you call the king of the Jews? Again they shouted, crucify him! Why? Pilate asked. What has he done wrong? But again, they shouted even louder Crucify him! And this is where it gets really painful. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas, and then he had Jesus flogged. He handed him over to be crucified. And soldiers led him over into the palace and they surrounded him. The whole company of guards came out and they dressed him up in a purple robe and they made this crown of thorns and they put it on his head. These guys loved mocking Jesus. It was cruel. People who saw him that morning said he just looked awful. It was horrible. It was, it was sickening. He'd just been flogged. It was ba- his back was ripped wide open and his body was just covered in blood. And then they dressed him up like a doll and played king with him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. You see, these soldiers came from Samaria and other places. They didn't come from Rome, so they were already prejudiced against him. And they found the idea of a Jewish king and a king like this absolutely ridiculous and amusing. They were hitting him on the head with a stick, spitting on him. I remember now, actually, Jesus said this would happen. He said, they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And now it was happening. Getting down on their knees, they were paying him homage and they mocked him and then they stripped him of the robe and they put his clothes back on and then they led him out to crucify him. They brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh but he refused it and then they crucified him. I'll spare you the details. Crucifixion is brutal. It's insane. Unimaginable pain. They crucified him. They divided his clothes. They cast lots to decide who would get what and the inscription on the charge that they put on the cross simply said, king of the Jews. They crucified two criminals, one on one side and one on the other. And then the crowd joined in with what the chief priests had started. And they were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, ha, the one who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself by coming down from that cross. And in the same way, the chief priests and the scribes were mocking him amongst themselves and they said, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let this king, this Messiah, come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Even the ones who were crucified with him began to taunt him. And when it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And some people nearby, it's like they must not have heard him right because they said, oh, see, he's calling for Elijah. And somebody ran with a sponge and they, they grabbed some sour wine, they fixed it on a stick with a sponge and they offered him a drink. They said, let's see if Elijah comes and rescues him. And then just Jesus just let out a loud cry. And breathed his last. That's quite a story. In fact, it's the story at the center of human history. But we know people who have questions. Like, does God really exist? Is Jesus really the only way? Isn't my belief in the universe or in God as I make it that be, isn't that enough? And when people have done so many bad things in the name of Christianity, how can a good person believe? Don't Christians ask similar questions? Doesn't everyone have doubts? We do. We face challenges to believing in Jesus as king because we are surrounded by a deep, denial that God exists. We are affected by a burgeoning belief that we should decide, we should pick and choose what to believe, and we hear voices that mock belief in Jesus. These are real problems, and in the face of them, I can be tempted to make my faith in God a private thing. I can be tempted to dial back my faith and dilute my devotion. I can be tempted to make my faith in Jesus a thing I go to when it works for me. But we're gonna see that we can worship Jesus with thankfulness by believing that he is the king and he's our king. I don't know if you noticed but in this story there's like 35 things happen to Jesus. Everything is happening to him. Jesus is spit on and blindfolded and beaten and slapped and he says nothing. The whole Jewish national leadership comes together and they agree that he should be killed and they tie him up, no word, no fight from Jesus. They lead him and hand him over to the Roman authorities, still nothing. The chief priests accuse him and Pilate asks him, aren't you going to answer? No. Jesus refuses to say that he's innocent. And this is not the king we expect. This is not the king we want. I think if you were a disciple nearby, you would have been asking, like, why doesn't he say something? Why doesn't he do something? And still, more things happen to Jesus. The crowd shouts, crucify him. The soldiers flog Jesus. They dress him. They salute him. They bow down to him. They hit him, mock him, spit him. And still nothing. And then they lead him out to crucify him. They yell at him. They mock him. They taunt him, and then Jesus experiences three hours of darkness and doubt, and finally he speaks, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus chose those words from Psalm 22, which was written hundreds of years before. If you know the psalm, you know that it begins with a note of despair, and then it finishes on this note of hope. But Jesus echoed not the last part, but the first. And so if we read into his words right in that moment on the cross, as if he had the whole psalm in mind, we miss the point of of the story that Mark is telling. He's saying that six hours after he was placed on the cross, and three hours after three hours of darkness, Jesus feels abandoned by God. And then he breathes his last, and it's over. He's dead. And someone asks, that's a king? He let himself get killed. That's not a king. Unless he knows something we don't. It doesn't matter, somebody else says, because I want a king who has something to say. I want a king who gets things done. And this is what the crowd was saying. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. These were the OGG, the original gaslighters. They abused him, demanded his execution, flogged him, and then they tried to make him feel like he was out of his mind. You think you're a king? Kings don't let this happen to them you're a fake, you're a sham, you're nothing. Ashamed I can hear my own mocking voice. Because in the face of a claim to be God, what do people say? People say, I decide what's real. I decide what's true. I decide what's good and beautiful. I decide what I should believe. I decide. If you are with us a few weeks ago, we learned... That the word decide comes from the same root that homicide comes from, which means that something must die. And with every decision, we actually show that we're made in the image of God with the power to decide. But we can also act like we are our own kings and queens when we say things like, you can't tell me what I should believe. I decide. So if something or someone has to die, it's not going to be me. But God says, because of sin, well, it's either you or Jesus. So we say, well, it'll have to be Jesus then. But maybe you do believe he was the Messiah. Maybe you do believe his claim that he was God. So what do you do with that voice that mocks belief in Jesus? That you'd be an idiot to follow him. Now, I know we don't like that word, idiot. But let me explain why I use it. I think some people think that believing in that Jesus is God makes you and me sound like that lovable idiot, Homer Simpson. You know Homer, the character who said things like, stupidity got us into this mess and stupidity is going to get us out. And Homer who said, I'm normally not a praying man, but if you're up there, please save me, Superman. Lovable idiot. His wife, Marge, was so patient. The Idiot is actually also the title of a 19th century novel by Russian author, Fyodor Dostoevsky. The title is an ironic reference to the central character of the novel, Prince Mishkin, a young man whose goodness, open-hearted simplicity and sincerity makes the people around him believe that he's just he just lacks intelligence. In the character of Prince Mishkin, Dostoevsky wanted to depict the positively good and beautiful man, and his motivation in writing the novel was to place Christian love right in the middle of Russian uh, values and attitudes and then just see what they did with it. Like for example in the story there's this moment when at a party the young skeptic Hippolyte, mockingly says to Prince Mishkin, Is it true Prince that you once said that beauty would save the world? Gentlemen, he cried loudly to all of them, the Prince insists that beauty will save the world. What beauty will save the world? Are you a zealous Christian, Prince? Koila says that you call yourself a Christian. You can hear the mocking voice. You see, the modern way of thinking is that we are smart and so we don't need God. We can leave our need for God behind. And we have friends and coworkers and neighbors who believe this way. Maybe you are tempted to believe that way. I want to come back to that charge that was written on the cross, the king of the Jews. What was that about? Well, I think it represented two things. In the first part, Pilate, on behalf of the power of Caesar, was mocking Jesus. He was saying, this is what we do to so-called kings. Because there's only one true king who's in charge, and it's not you. I think he was also mocking the Jews. The people who believe that they were God's children, God's chosen. You think you're special? You believe Jesus is God? You believe in him? Cute. But listen again, can you hear your own mocking voice? What do I mean? Well, I think we mock Jesus when we act like we're worshiping, but we're not. We mock Jesus when we say yes to him, but then we don't do what we said we would do. We mock Jesus when no matter what we say, the way we live our lives says we don't believe he's the king, not really. And I mock Jesus when I take communion cheaply, acting like I remember that he died in my place for my sin, for my forgiveness, but I don't remember. Now, hold on, Let, let's be fair. Maybe some of you have experienced such great difficulty in your lives, you just find it hard to believe. And I get it. Maybe some of you know someone, you have a friend who just believes so strongly in the way she wants to live that you just can't reconcile what the Bible says with your love for her. And that's understandable. Maybe you really do believe, it's just that you just, you just get distracted I get it, but listen, have you started to believe that you're smarter than the millions and millions and millions of people who have confessed Jesus as king over the last 2,000 years? Have you decided that it's okay to make stuff up about Jesus? Have you decided you believe that you are more progressive than Jesus and so you say to your friends, I just, I just think you'd be fine with it? Piece by piece, Block by block, some of us have been tearing down our faith and building a faith of our own making that would be satisfying to us as if it was ours to do with whatever we wanted. But can you believe again that Jesus is king? When I was a teen and in my 20s, one of my sisters believed in Jesus. I didn't. And every time the calendar would come around a Good Friday, I just didn't understand. I didn't get it. I didn't understand what really happened. I didn't understand why it needed to happen. But God did. God knew. God knew that this is what Jesus had to do. And Jesus knew that his kinging wasn't complete until he suffered. Until he died in order to rescue us. Summing it up later, Paul said, God made Christ who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And now I see. You see, the fact is, the fact that Mark spends 15 chapters of his book showing and proving that Jesus is God and the king of a new kingdom, and then he tells this story of him suffering and dying the way he does, that proves it's a true story. Pastor and author Mark Clark observes, skeptics often say that the gospel writers were trying to gain power by showing how impressive Jesus is and how impressive they are by association. But if this is what they wanted to accomplish, they did a poor job. (laughs) Tim Keller points out that the gospels gain credibility by what he calls counterproductive content. Because if you're just making up a story in which you want Jesus to be the perfect hero, you don't show his weakness. You don't tell a story where so many things happen to him. And you don't tell a story where the hero suffers such violence and mockery and he barely says or does anything in response. If you want to make up a story to prove that this is the king, you don't tell this story. But see, Jesus wasn't passive. He was infinitely intentional. Jesus wasn't a victim. He was accomplishing something for us, for you. And Jesus wasn't a fake. He wasn't nothing. He was the one true king. Do you believe? Friends, in the face of a deep denial that God exists, in the face of a belief that we should decide what we should pick and choose to believe, in the face of the voices that mock belief in Jesus, let's repent again. Let's let our hearts and minds turn again and worship Jesus with thankfulness. Believe that Jesus is the king and he's your king. You're suffering, dying, redeeming, and resurrected king. Because, of course, there's more to the story. Remember what that crowd was yelling as they were passing by, Jesus hanging on the cross there? Come down from that cross so that we may see and believe. I have an idea. What if we turn their words into a confession? We do see, we do believe. We do see and believe. Because we know what happened next. (laughs) You see, when Jesus quoted Psalm 22, he wasn't just reaching for words. He was pointing to Psalm 22 because it said so many things about him. So let's listen to what it said and let me invite you to believe again. Turn away from unbelief and those mocking voices and worship Jesus with thankfulness because only God could have arranged the circumstances so that Jesus would fulfill his plan. Only a king like this could pay for our sin and provide for our forgiveness. Let yourself see and believe that this king is your king. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry out by day but you do not answer. By night and yet I have no rest. But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted in you, rescued them. They cried to you and they were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. Don't be far from me because distress is near and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong ones encircle me. They open their mouths against me, lions mauling and roaring. I'm poured out like water and my, all my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death for dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. But you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength, come quickly to help me. You answered me. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. All you who fear the Lord, praise him, honor him, revere him. For he was not despised or abhorred, the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. I get it. I see. I believe. He had to do this. He wanted to do this. That's my king. Thanks for listening and thank you for giving. Your giving makes this podcast possible and helps us share this message with others. If today's message made you realize that you need to take your next step with Jesus, we'd love to help you with that. The easiest way to do that is by going to beulah.family on your browser. On that page, you'll find our social media links, links to upcoming events, and a link to give. And don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We'll see you soon.